Good morning. What a wonderful time of worship through music, worship through prayer. And in a few moments, we'll continue our time of worship um, by studying God's Word together. If you're a first-time guest with us or tuning in for the first time on our live stream, uh, my name is Luke Talbert. I previously served as an assistant pastor here at Malvern Hill from 2010 to 2017, at which point God called uh, our family, uh, my wife Patty and our three girls at that time, though we've since uh, been blessed with a little boy, Christopher, who's two. Uh, in 2017, we moved to uh, Latvia to serve with the International Mission Board as church planting missionaries. And we've been there for the past, past three and a half years and came back to the States uh, for a little bit to, to see family, to, to spend time with our church family, our American church family, uh, be with you all and, and rest and kind of recuperate uh, before we head back um, at some point, uh, depending on when our girls get their passports, um, head back to Latvia to continue our work and ministry over there. If you'd like to know a little bit more about that, uh, we will be ta- sharing on Wednesday night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary a little bit about our calling, how God called us overseas, um, what we do with the International Mission Board, how you all support us as Southern Baptists, as uh, one church uh, joining together with 40, over 40,000 other churches to support missions all around the world. And so if you'd like to hear more about that, we'd love to have you come and join us on Wednesday night at 6.30. Eleanor will be dressed in her uh, authentic Latvian garb and may, she's trying to convince us to let us do some uh, folk dancing for you. Um, so we'll, we'll have a great time. The girls will be with us. Um, Christopher, maybe not, um, but the girls, uh, he may be in the nursery. It's probably better for everyone that way. Um, but the girls will even uh, do some Q&A with us. Um, so we look forward to talking more about that on Wednesday night. Um, So if you have noticed uh, the the kind of sermon series is the whole story that we as a church family, and I say we because I've been doing it alongside you all, even though we haven't been physically present here in the United States, but been reading through uh, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, looking at the great picture of God's great story. And if you've not been doing that, then I would encourage you uh, to join us. Because too often, um, our our Christianity, our understanding of God's Word is just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit of what we picked up in Sunday school as children, a little bit from vacation Bible school, maybe from a sermon that we remember in the past. And it's just little bits here and there. But there's such goodness in reading through God's Word from the beginning to the end. And seeing God... The, the, the Bible is not just random stories kind of put together, but there's one grand story of redemption. Not only is there goodness in doing that, but there is goodness in doing that in community. That we take for granted the fact that, that many of us probably have multiple copies of God's Word at our house. That we can just uh, pick up our phones and have multiple translations available But for most of the church's history, it was not that way. If you wanted to know God's Word, you had to study it in community. That Everybody didn't have a copy of God's Word. And so there is the importance of coming together to study it together. Even as we've been reading through Proverbs and we look and see the themes that that are there on on poverty and wealth, oppression and violence, on justice, on work ethic, on on just wages, on property, on honesty, on borrowing and lending, on uh, submitting to authorities, on war and nature and discipline and mercy, all of those things. It's important that we not just study those ourselves, but we study them in community, asking the question, what does it look like as God's people to reflect God's wisdom to the world around us. 
And so I'd encourage you, if you're not participating in, in this reading plan, to do that. Um, so that we as God's people can grow as we know more and more about God's great story. So with that said, as I've already mentioned, we're in the book of Proverbs this week. Um, Actually, last week, uh, Craig preached, um, Pastor Craig preached from Proverbs, and we're going to continue in that today. But but what are the Proverbs? It's really important that we understand that the book of Proverbs, it's not a mathematical formula. Uh, These are general principles about what it means to live for God, to reflect God's righteousness in our lives. And that's why we have Proverbs like uh, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. that says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. But then in the next verse it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Which one is it? That, that's what we look at when we see, or when we read through Proverbs. We see that these are general principles that we have to have wisdom in applying to our lives. Likewise, Proverbs 22, 6, a famous proverb which says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. These proverbs are not mathematical formulas. If you do this, you're guaranteed this result. Because children aren't robots. They, they have free will, right? And they can make their own choices, And yet it's a general principle that what you teach and model before your child, they will learn and take into adulthood. In other words, the book of Proverbs shows us that God's lordship, uh, God's lordship over each and every aspect of our lives and that we should live in a way that reflects his character and brings us in harmony with his intentions for his creation. And that's what Pastor Craig talked about last week from Proverbs 3, where he says, uh, talked about what is a wise life, to to remember what we were taught, to cling to love and faithfulness, to trust in the Lord, to honor God with our possessions. But but what does that look like practically for us? And that's the question I want us to wrestle with today is, how do we take these Proverbs, how do we take this wisdom, this wisdom that that God multiple multiple times in the Proverbs says, is life. This isn't just good advice, but this is life for your souls. How do we take that and put that into our lives? Pastor Craig talked about tithing and and using our wealth for for God's glory last week. I'm not going to repeat all that. I'm not going to delve into all that, but we are wealthy people. Not just financially, and if you've spent any time overseas... You, you know what that looks like, um, even those of us that might not say that we're wealthy, if we were to spend any time in another culture, we would quickly realize how wealthy we are, but not just financially, wealthy with our time, uh, that if you look at statistics, uh, our amount of leisure time or free time continues to grow as Americans. We, we have abundance of time. We have abundance of resources. Um, just, just being here in the church and, and looking at the Christian resources that are available, the library back there, the books, the, the magazines, the, the devotional books. Man, we are so wealthy, not just financially, not just with time, but just with the resources that are in our hands. So how do we, what do we do with that? How can we be good stewards? How can we practically put that into a plan and use those things for God's glory? So we read through the Proverbs. How do we put this wisdom into practice? How do we parent our children with godly wisdom? How do we make plans to do that? 
How do we fight for the poor and the oppressed with godly wisdom? How do we do this practically? So that's what we're going to look like this morning in Proverbs 16, uh, beginning in verse 1. So Proverbs 16, beginning in verse 1, will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from it this morning? And this is the word of God for the people of God. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come together as your people this morning. I pray that you would be honored, honored as we worship you through music, uh, through prayer, and through your, the study of your word this morning. Lord, I, I pray that as we study, as we look and dive into your word this morning, that you would be honored, that it would be your word that we hear, that it would be your spirit that convicts us, that it would be your spirit that changes us, that we would not come with eloquence of words or emotional guilt trips or anything like that, but that it would just be purely your word, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So how can we plan for the future in a way that glorifies God? How can we take this wisdom and put it into practice in a way that glorifies Him? If I want godly children, if I want a just society, if I want to see these things, how do I plan and make it happen? We begin in verse 1 with, with this proverb, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What, what does that mean? Um, in all honesty, we, we don't know for certain. There, there are a couple of different views on, on what this could mean. Uh, maybe it means that while man creates plans, it, it's God that must help articulate them or put them to words. Um, maybe it means that while we make plans that may be wrong, the Lord actually is the one that always gives a right answer. So that's why like the New Living Translation would translate this as saying, uh, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. So maybe it's saying that our, our plans are, are fallible. They're not always right, but the Lord always gives the right answer. Or maybe it means that while we can make plans... We can't control other people. Ultimately, it's God's sovereignty that we rely on for, for the answers. We can't force other people to do things. So despite how good our plans might be, it's the Lord that we ultimately have to trust. And that's probably where, where I would come down on this. And yet there is something that we can learn from this verse, even if we don't know exactly what it means here. And it's this, that, that there is a contrast here between our plans and the Lord. That we can make plans, but we are not the one who is sovereign. Only God can make things securely. There is a limit to our ability to make our plans bear fruit. That we can plan, but we cannot control it. The people, we cannot control the weather, we cannot control our own bodies, etc. Ultimately, there is something that despite our best plans, we, we, we can't control everything. So what do we do with this? Do we just throw up our hands? Do we say, Jesus, take the wheel, for, for lack of a better phrase? Do we just say planning is useless? If God is in control, then why plan at all, right? No. In God's design, he, He's designed it so that He works through us 
And the Bible is clear that we're to take an active approach in living for God. If we look just at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, uh, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, see what it's calling us to there is something active to, to seek, to treasure, to receive, to make our ear attentive, to incline our heart, to call out for insight, to raise our voice. God calls us to be active in doing things for him. We can look at Matthew 28, verses 8 to 19 through 20, which says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There is a calling and command for us to be active and to do things for the Lord. Even if we look at something like Paul's missionary journeys, for some of us, we might just think that he just kind of woke up in the morning and said, ah, where am I going today? Spirit, just leave me. I'll just go somewhere random. But if we actually look at the map of where he went, he was very intentional about choosing population centers where there's the mixing of cultures, where it was at the crossroads of, of trade and civilization so that the gospel message could go forth, that he could plant a church there knowing that that message would be carried out to the countryside and to other cities and to the very ends of the earth. Even when he would go back through the churches, we, we can look at, his, at the map of his missionary journeys and see how he's intentional in going back to the places where he planted churches so that he could strengthen and encourage and disciple them. So we see that we're to be active and, and trying to do our best with what God has given us for his glory. And yet at the same time, using Paul as an illustration, we also see moments where he had plans, he had intentions. He wanted to go to Asia, for example, in Acts 16. And yet in a dream and a vision, he was, the doors were closed and he was led somewhere else. And so what we see in Scripture is this calling of God to do things for Him, to take what He's given us, to take the talents, the resources He has given us, and be intentional about using them and making plans and doing things for His kingdom, for His glory, at the same time being open to changes because we're not God. So what we learn from Scripture, how we can plan for the future in a way that glorifies God, the first thing is that we plan, but we plan in humility. What does this look like? What, what do we mean? It, it sounds great to say, okay, plan in humility, but what does that practically look like? And the first thing I would say is that you cannot stand in humility before God, and you cannot hold your plans in humility before God if you have not submitted to His Lordship over your life. And every time I preach, I'm going to present the gospel because it's absolutely essential to any message from the Bible. But especially with Proverbs, because it's so easy for us to turn to this book and see it as just a handbook of principles for better living. And too often, Jesus is peddled in the marketplace as a nice addition to our lives, like a new workout routine or the latest diet or some technological marvel that will just make your life easier and better. But actually what we see in Proverbs 1-7 is this is not just some principles that you can put in your life and make it better. 
that actually the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so that's the first thing that I'd say is, it, what, what does it look like for us to plan in humility? It means recognizing God's lordship over each and every area of my life. It means fearing God. If we read through Scripture, what, what we'll see as we're going through this whole story is every time that people even come in contact with just a messenger of God, not God himself, just his messengers, angels, every time the angel is saying, hey, don't be afraid. Because people's natural inclination when we experience just the messenger of God is fear and trembling. If we look at Isaiah, when he just saw the, the train of the Lord, uh, his, his robe filling the temple, didn't even see the Lord's face, he cries out, woe is me. That God is holy and just and mighty and omnipotent and omniscient and the source of all that is good and true. And when we stand in comparison to him, we are nothing. We are sinful. We have wanted no part of him. We are rebellious creatures. And as scripture calls us rightly, we are God's enemies. And while we are the rebellious ones who have sinfully rejected him and therefore separated him from, be, from him because of our sins, the good news is that's not the end of the story. That he sent his son to live the perfect life that we could never live and then die the death we deserve that we had earned for our sins. And then through the resurrection, show us that there is hope and a resurrection for us. The death will not have the final word for us. That through his resurrection, he shows his victory over hell and the grave and our sin, that if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, we can be made whole. We can be brought home. And so what does it mean for us to plan in humility? It means us coming to Jesus and saying, you are Lord of my life, that I don't want to live my way anymore. I don't want to follow my sinful heart. I don't want to live in my sin and rebellion to you. That means you are my Lord and Savior. This is the same call that Jesus issued in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus says there is that there is a yoke, that there is a calling, that becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want. It is submitting to his lordship. It is answering his call. But the good news is that the call of his yoke is easy and light because in him there is rest from our sins, rest from anxiousness, rest from trying to do our own things because we have a good heavenly father who will care and lead us well. So we plan in humility when we submit to his lordship and also when we recognize his sovereignty. That he is God and we are not, as I've already said. That he is Lord and we are his servants. And so when something surprises us, when things don't go the way we want them to, we don't have to panic. We have a Lord. And he knows everything. And though we are surprised, he is not. And he has a plan in the midst of this. And while sometimes we, we might struggle with, with that, well, if he's Lord, how, 
how can bad things happen? And, and that's, that's a rabbit hole for another day. But I, I would say this, I, I find much more comfort in God's sovereignty, even, even when things happen, than the alternative, which is that there is no God and all of this is meaningless. Because if there is no God, then everything is your fault and my fault. There is no grace. There is no possibility of redemption. Everything is on your shoulders. And congregation, that is not a burden that we can bear. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he said what, what I just read from Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, those who continually try and do things in their own power, cleanse themselves in their own power, try and hold everything in their own hands. We weren't made for that. And that is why it is so heavy and burdensome. But there is joy when we come and we say, God, I'm going to do what I can and make plans to use the resources that you've given me for your glory, but do it in the humility, knowing that you are Lord and I am not, that you are sovereign and I am not, and I'm going to trust you in the midst of that. So we follow the Lord, we make plans, but we hold them with open palms before our Lord and Savior. We plan in humility. Secondly, what we do is we check our hearts. Verse 2 says that all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. In other words, we are very good at being blind to our sins and justifying our own actions. We see this once again throughout scriptures. If, if you remember, think back to, to the book of Judges when we read through that together. In Judges 17, 6, where it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's kind of the refrain of the book of Judges. Uh, that God's people who should have been modeling God's righteousness became like the people that they, they went in there to drive out because of their, their wickedness. And at the end of the book of Judges, the people of God are just as wicked as the people that were wicked before them. Why? Because they did what was right in their own eyes. Said, I'm going to be the king of my own life, the God of my own life, the Lord of my own life, and I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. We see this in Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 30, 12. Uh, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Or as we studied in life groups today, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus himself focuses on the heart, saying it's not what you do with your hands that makes you defiled. It's what comes out of your heart. Matthew 15, 9 through 20, which says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Ultimately, there is no part of us that is not affected by sins, including our hearts and the way we see ourselves. And so as a result, we deceive ourselves, we dismiss our sins, we justify our actions, we excuse our fight with our spouse because, well, what they did was worse than what I did. We argue with a co-worker and, and dismiss our ungodliness towards them because they just don't understand us. We justify telling a white lie to our boss because it's what he or she really wants to hear. <clears throat> we justify our anger and yelling at our children because, well, I, I was tired and they never listened anyways. We're so good at justifying ourselves and being completely blind to the root of sin in our own lives. But maybe you're thinking, well, how can this be? You, you say, our heart is wicked and deceitful of all things, but, but I, I feel like I love my wife, my husband. I, I feel like I love my children. Is that wicked? Is that wrong? 
I mean, doesn't, doesn't God promise if we're believers, if we've, if we've repented of our sins and placed our faith in Christ, that he'll give us a new heart? I mean, isn't that what Ezekiel 36 says? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh. Doesn't Jesus in John 7 say, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water? Well, which one is it, Luke? Is, is my heart deceitful and wicked and I shouldn't trust it at all? Or is it a place where there's, there's flowing living water? Should, should I ever trust my emotions or are all my emotions always bad? Which is it? What, what does scripture teach us? And, and here's, here's where I'll, I'll use a couple of theological terms. What we see, justification and sanctification. That, that there is a moment when we trust in Christ, when we call him Lord and Savior, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, which means we, we say we trust him. I'm going to trust you. You're going to be Lord and Savior of my life. In that moment, we are justified before God. Our sins are wiped away and we can enter his presence Another way of looking at it is, as Paul talks about, is we're adopted as his children. We become one of his children. We are stamped once and for all. You are my child and nothing can tear you out of my grasp. We are justified before him. We are given that new heart that can choose to love God. We're given that new heart that, that, that allows us to fight against sin. And then we grow in what is called sanctification. That now as his child, we grow up to become more and more like him. We grow in understanding what his heart is and, and how our heart should now reflect his heart. We learn what is right and what is wrong. We learn what glorifies him and what doesn't. And we can then actively fight against the sin in our own lives. As Paul, he, he, Paul in, in Colossians 3 talks about like this. It, it, we learn... Now as God's children to take off the old self and put on the new self. So he says in Colossians 3, 8, Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your, life, or from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're not perfect yet. But the spirit that lives and works within us, the new heart that is now in us, is being renewed, is helping us to grow in godliness, is helping us to discover what it means to be God's child and to live in the way that honors him as that child. In Colossians 3, verse 12, he says, Well, then put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and going on to describe what it means like to, to live as God's people. So now as holy, as beloved, as his kids, as his chosen ones, we're to be putting things on. So the new heart doesn't erase all of our sin. It doesn't make us perfect. But what it does is, is it changes our standing before God and it allows us to now seek to honor and live for him in every area of our life. It allows us to love and find joy in God. And as John Owens famously wrote, it allows us to kill sin. Lest that sin be killing us. So how can we plan for the future in a way that glorifies God? We plan in humility, but then we check our hearts. 
Because now as God's people, we are fighting against sin. There is still sin that dwells within us. And we want to be careful that we have not become blind to a sin in our lives that would affect the way that we plan. How do we do that practically, though? And my answer would be that that we walk in that spirit that has been given to us. To to go back to to Paul, as he says in Ephesians 5, he says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, he says, but I say walk by the Spirit, that now as God's people, he has given us his Spirit. And so we need to be seeking to live and be filled by that Spirit so that we can honor God. Once again, that that sounds really good, but what does that practically mean? It means what what I just read from Colossians 3, putting off sin and putting on the things of the Spirit. It means pursuing Christ in each and every day, or as Christ talks about in John, it means abiding in Him. Walking in the Spirit means abiding in Christ. It means not seeing our walk with Christ being a one-time decision that we made many years ago at BBS or in our childhood, but it means each and every day waking up and seeking to put off our sin and put on Christ, to treasure Him each and every day. It means living in the Word. You know, Jesus, as, as He was saying His kind of last words to His disciples before He went to the cross, He actually talked a lot about the Spirit and Him dwelling in us. He actually says, it's good that I'm leaving you because then the Spirit can come. How, how can that be? I mean, how many of us said, if, if Jesus could just be here physically with me right now, how much better would my life be? And yet what Jesus said to his disciples, it's actually better that I'm physically going away from you because God is going to sp- send his Spirit to dwell inside of you, and that's actually better. Why? Because in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What's that saying? He'll lead us into God's word. Jesus later prays as he's praying over the disciples. He says, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And if the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, then he will lead us to God's word. So we check our hearts by living in the Spirit, by seeking to be filled by the Spirit each and every day, by putting off sin and putting on Christ, by living in the Word. But then the third thing is by living in community. That God's design is not for us to be lone rangers out there fighting things on our own, but He created the church, the body of Christ. The church that stretches globally and through all times, the the church that we can talk about here in Malvern Hill, South Carolina, in South Carolina and, and in Missius Draudze, Latvia. So God knits us together with this worldwide people of God, but he also designed it so that we would be part of a local body of believers where we can know and be known. Where we can have people around us that will draw out the meanings in our souls, as, as kind of Proverbs 25 says, where it talks about the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but the man of understanding will draw it out. Where we can have deep and meaningful relationships where there are people that will help draw out what is in our heart. But also where we can have deep relationships with other people who will help us see our blind spots. A place where we can have meaningful relationships, where we can give people permission to say things that we don't 
may not like, we may not be comfortable with, but we can do so in the context of a covenant community where we have said, you and I are going to see the worst of each other, but we're not going anywhere. That I can allow you to see what is worst about me and you can allow me to see what is worst about your life. And yet because of the blood of Christ, we are brothers and sisters and I won't go anywhere where we can be vulnerable and have these hard conversations and ask the hard questions and not be a place of just yes men and yes women, but where we can actually check one another's hearts. So how do we plan and live our lives for God's glory? We plan with humility. We check our hearts. And lastly, we commit everything to the Lord. Verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit in Hebrew is literally means to roll something, like to roll a ball towards someone else. It isn't like a dedication page in the book. It isn't just kind of getting God's stamp on our plans, saying, okay, now, now give me that stamp and, and everything. It is putting the ball in his hands. It is putting the plans in his hands and saying, now do with it as you wish. It is saying, I have planned humbly, I have checked my heart, but now I'm rolling it to you and giving it to you to do with as you will. But, but what about that second phrase? And it says your plans will be established because there's some people that go, okay. So, so if, if, you, if you're a believer, if you plan something, then the Lord has to do it for you, right? So if you just have enough faith, if you just believe hard enough, You'll, you'll get that house that you want. You'll get that promotion. Your kids will be perfect. There'll never be any arguing or bickering, right? Your bank account will never, never have a low balance alert. Your marriage will be fine. Everything will be, if you just have enough faith and do enough for God, then, then kind of like we talked about how some people see Proverbs almost as an IOU or a formula. If, if you just do these things, then God has to do this for you. But that, that's not what we actually see in Scripture, and that's not what this verse is teaching us. We, we see this in Jesus' own words in John 15, where he says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Some, some people like to, to focus on the last part of it, where ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, and they completely forget the first part that says, no, If you're abiding in me, and my words are abiding in you, in other words, if you are abiding in me and your heart is growing and you're walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the Word, and if you're living in community and your heart is changing to be my heart, then you're going to be asking for the things that I want to do. And so, yes, God will establish our plans, but only as we are growing in Him and the plans that we are making and submitting and committing to Him are the ones that reflect His heart. And what we know he has planned. Like we know, we know that he wants the gospel to go forth and us be sharing the gospel with those around us. And so we can make that plan. We can make plans to share the gospel with our coworkers, with our family members, with our spouse, with our neighbors, and know that he will establish that because scripture teaches that's his plan. That's what he wants to do. 
We can make plans, husband, to lovingly serve our wives and sacrifice for them because that's what he says in Ephesians is his plan for what marriage should look like. And when we plan, when we do the things that we've already talked about and we make these plans in humility and we check our hearts and we're walking in the spirit and we're in the word and we're in community asking those hard questions, then the plans that come out and we roll to God, we can do with the confidence knowing that this As far as it depends on me, as far as I know God, I'm not perfect, but I'm rolling this to you knowing that that this fits with the big plan of Scripture and what your heart is. What does this look like, though, for us to commit everything to the Lord? It it means doing that. It means means saying, hey, this, this is you. This is in your hands now, God. But there's also something that it means for us after that. It means that we can rest. One of the, the scripture verses as I was preparing to preach um, this week that, that the Lord led me to is Psalms 127. That kind of, it echoes what, what we were talking about, what this proverb teaches. In Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go, to late, uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. And so when we commit things to the Lord, not only are we letting go, saying now it's in your hands, we can then rest knowing that our worth and success is not dependent on 24 7 365 busyness it doesn't depend on me ultimately it's in god's hands and i can rest that i'm going to make a plan to disciple my children and do everything i can to steward the the gift that god has given me with them but I can't control them. They're not robots. And at the end of the day, I have to go to bed resting in God's goodness and his plans. I may have a terrible work environment and a boss that may seem like he's out to get me. And yet I will do my best. I will walk in the spirit. I will do all the things that we've talked about. But at the end of the day, I can rest because he is God and I am not. And I am his child and know that he will love. And he's got a plan. I may not know what it is right now, but he has a plan for me, and I can rest. If there's anything that I struggle with most and that this sermon has spoken to me most about, it is this. I like to be in control. I like to have plans. Those that know me best know about my spreadsheets and my to-do list and task management software and all these things, and I'm, I'm that type of person that likes the zero on my inbox, Okay. Um, my wife is very different, and so we balance each other out well, all right? Some of you are, are, are you know, if you look at your inbox right now, it's got like 21,000 emails, okay? That would drive me crazy. That is not what I like. I like being in control. I like having done everything and checked all the boxes. And yet we are finite creatures. And the more that we try and hold on to the things that God has said, no, these are mine. Let them go. 
the more we will drive ourselves crazy. We must rest as God's people. We must commit things to him, roll the ball, roll everything to him, and let him take it from there and go to sleep resting in his goodness and grace. That in the midst of our anxiousness, in my tendency to worry and be anxious about tomorrow, I can rest because if nothing else, I may not have any clue what God is doing. I may be sitting there with my eyes wide open going, Lord, why are our passports not back yet? Why can't we leave yet? I've got this and this planned. I've got all these things. My calendar is full. And yet right now we, we have no idea where our girls' passports are or where they're going to get this. And I can live in that anxiousness where I can say, even though, God, I've got no clue what you're doing here. I don't understand it. How could this be a good thing? I can say, but you've saved me. And even if I can't see the plan, I see what you've done in bringing me from death to life and bringing me from being your enemy to your child. And I can love and trust you, if nothing else, because I have a good Savior. So let me close with these challenges. As, as I said before, some of you cannot submit your plans to, to the Lord because he's not the Lord of your life yet. And so I would urge you, may this be the day of salvation. May this be the day where you don't just try and make God like an addition in your life, like a good workout plan or whatever it might be, but that you say, no, Lord, I'm submitting. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing things on my own. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Would this morning be the morning where you experience that joy, that new life, and that rest in Christ? Secondly, don't be passive. What is God calling you to do with what he has given you? Students that just got back from camp, that is, what, what a high, what an awesome week is that? But I've seen so many times in my own life and the lives of the students, the eight times I went to camp, that you come off this camp high, you, you're, you're going to live for God, but you don't make a plan to do something with it. And two weeks later, you look back and everything that you said you were going to change, didn't change because you never made a plan. So what is God calling you to do to steward the resources, the desires, the things that he's laid on your heart? What is he calling you to do? And lastly, what, what is he calling you to do so that you could have community? that you could have those deep relationships? Is he calling you to have a conversation with a person in our church family to say, I, I want to give you permission to speak into my life and to say hard things. I want that. Is he calling you to get involved into a life group, to actively choose that community, a fellowship of believers where you, you, you get to know the best and the worst in one another, but in the context of saying, but I choose you and I'm not going anywhere. How are you resting in God's goodness this morning? The, the title of the sermon is Certain Plans in an Uncertain World because we can't plan for everything. But the good news is we don't have to because we're not God. So as the praise band comes and plays, and I'm going to pray in just a moment, as Adam is going to come down, if, if, there's, if you need prayer, if you want to to join this, this fellowship. If, if you want counsel, you can come and talk with him or I'll, I'll be over there as well and, and you can come and pray with me. 
How is God speaking to your heart to respond to this today? As we seek to make plans and glorify God through the resources that he has given us in humility by checking our hearts and committing everything to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for us this morning that we as your people would listen to your spirit and its leading as we grow in godliness, as you change our heart, uh, that, that, that our heart would learn to, to beat more and more for the things of you. So even right now, as we have this time of response, I pray that your spirit would call us, reveal to us through your word, through people, through, through the feelings deep within our heart of what we should be doing, how we should respond, how we could plan, what, what, what you're calling us to do. I pray that you would call people from death to life in this very moment, that they would submit to your lordship and find the life that the Proverbs talks about by, that comes in living in you. So speak to us now. Help us to respond. Help us to grow and live as your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand